Welcome to the Sonic Cloth Podcast. So before we jump into today's episode, I want to thank all of you for the amazing feedback that I've received about the previous episode. Uh, I guess there are way more Cerberus Shoalheads out there than I initially realized. And the episode seems to have traveled like much farther and wider than my usual reach. So um, that was just very cool, very unexpected. And it was really, really cool to hear from like longtime fans of Cerberus Shoal and then also, like I heard directly from a lot of the members of the band, too. And I'll just say uh, that details are kind of being worked out, but I have a feeling that that's not the last dive we're going to take into Cerberus Shoal on the show. But that's all I'm going to say for now. Um, let's get into today's rabbit hole. I am uh, super fortunate to have known Mike Patton aficionado Jason Walton on the show today. Thanks for doing this, man. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing well. Really appreciate your time here. I'm, I'm stoked that we could come together on uh, General Patton. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, Patton has been very important in my life since about, if I had to wager, 89, maybe 90, something like that. Long time. He's been uh, a hero to me, an idol to me, an icon to me, and a friend to me, even though he doesn't know it. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's very, very important to me. So this is the first time I've been able to, uh, speak about him in a format like this. So I'm very excited. Do you have any patent meetings or anything like that? Yeah, actually, um, the one and only time I really got to speak to Patton, uh, face to face was about an hour before the very first Phantomos show. And it was in here in Portland and I was walking around Powell's with a couple of friends uh, one of them being Don Anderson from Agaloc. And uh, this was, God, it was right before the first Phantomos record came out. So nobody knew what they sounded like. So if I were to guess 90, I'm so bad with years sometimes. It's like 98, 99, maybe. Uh-huh. And it was their very first show. Nobody had ever heard them before. Nobody had no idea what to expect. And uh, we're walking around Powell's and we ran into Patton and Trevor Dunn. And uh, I just approached him and talked to him for about a half hour. And he was very, very nice and asked us about what kind of music we're into and what we're doing. And it was a very, very pleasant experience. Right as I asked that question, or right as you started um, telling that answer, I'm like, oh, you've talked about that on I Hate Music, I think. That's true. I have. It sounded really familiar. Yep. That's awesome. Well, um, I'm a huge Agalog fan. I just want to say, like, I saw you guys play a few times, but I oh, think yeah? most notably, I saw y'all at the Scion Metal Fest. Oh, yeah. That was great. 2011, I want to say. Sounds like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, that was really fun. That was actually, like, really a cool experience for me to get to open up for Morbid Angel and Obituary. That was That's right. That was one of those moments where I thought, like, wow, like, this is this is kind of getting out of hand. And I'm hanging out backstage with Morbid Angel, and yeah, that was that was really good. I felt like we did really well. Felt like uh, we were received really well, and it was just so great to 
to play with those bands. It was just amazing. Yeah, yeah, you guys killed it. And I was just th- I was just thinking to myself, like as I was looking that up to find out what year it was, I'm like, ah, oh, Scion Metal Fest. That is such a long extinct idea that probably yeah, like wouldn't, I know. What, would never come back. PR budgets like that probably just don't even exist anymore. You it's know? just so crazy to think that a car company was putting on a metal fest. It's just so strange. Whoever was doing like the curation, like it was pretty fucking solid. Like every time. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We just played the one time, but I know, um, you know, Aesop's other band, Ludacra, they played once in Ohio. I think it was a Scion Fest. That might have been the first one. In which case, like the that I remember that lineup being just like, if you go back and look at that lineup, it is just like what dreams are made of, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool, and they gave away Scion socks and shit like that to the bands, which is really strange. But I had a great time, and it was fun. And uh, I'd never been to Pomona before, so that was interesting. Yeah, first and last time for me, I think. Yeah, same, same, yeah. For those who might not know, listeners, uh, Jason is a Portland, Oregon-based musician, um, obviously a longtime member of Agaloc, but also has made music with the band Sculptured, uh, Karada, among others, uh, you make a lot of solo and collaborative music under various names, um, like Snare of Sixes and Nothing, just to name a few. Um, and you also operate Earth and Sound Studio in Portland. And another thing is that you are a fellow podcaster. You are the host and producer of I Hate Music Podcast, which I will go ahead and admit, um, along with like, you know, podcasts like Radical Research and, and a few other really niche kind of like music podcasts, like definitely a huge inspiration for me in, in starting this one out. So... Just a, you know, a round of thanks or, or, or do there for you guys. Oh, just kind of yeah. taking this idea of like, you know, people just talking shit, listening to music with your friends and just like yeah, yeah, putting that yeah. into a podcast forum, essentially. Yeah, it's basically what I wanted to do. I was uh, a huge fan of Mark Marin, And well, I still am a huge fan of Mark Marin, And I listened to him religiously twice a week. And uh, I just thought, what if I did this about something that I was into? And uh yeah, I Hate Music is like six years old now or something. I'm on hiatus right now. I haven't done an episode for almost a year now, which is kind of crazy to think about. But I'll come back eventually. I just wanted to focus on some other things and kind of clear my head and make some more space in my mind for podcasting. Um, but yeah, I'll do it again for sure. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, and you've already got like, all the subscribers. So one day out of nowhere, there's going to yeah. be a new I Hate, <laughs> I hate Music. And I'm well, just going to look down and be like, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what I want to do at some point. Well, I think, you know, the, maybe the best place to start things off is to ask, like, what was your first exposure to Patton's music? And I don't know, what kind of impression did it leave at you at the time? Just trying like, kind of set the scene for early Jason and, and, and that first exposure. Sure. Um, well, my first exposure to Patton was with Faith No More is the Real Thing. I would assume it's from the Epic video on MTV, but I honestly don't really remember I remember getting heavily into that record, though, when it came out. I was just starting to get into death metal and black metal, coming out of punk, um, but I also had a long, flirtatious history with hair metal. So it, that record kind of took like the punk and like almost like the hair metal aspects and moved it almost towards like a thrash direction that I was getting heavily into. Um, and it just was an amalgamation of all these different influences and you'd see videos of them or promo photos of them wearing napalm death and carcass shirts and Godflesh shirts, but they're like on fucking MTV and <laughs> it just blew my mind. There was something about not only the songs, but the presentation, the way they worked together as a band and obviously Patton, 
Like he is such a front man. He's such an amazing front man. Immediately became obsessed, not only with Faith No More, but with Patton himself Mm -hmm. to a kind of stupid degree, honestly. But I was, I mean, when was the real thing? It was like 89, something like that. So, you know, I was right in my prime teenage years. I, I fucking cut my hair just like him. I dressed just like him. It was just, it was over the top and ridiculous, but he really opened my eyes to things that I hadn't really thought about, not only with music, but with art. He really informed the way that I am a performer even today. Um, I use him as an example. Uh, He just really exemplified music and art in a way that I really hadn't thought about it before. And even on like this main stage of being like a, I'm not sure if Faith No More were ever technically like a top 40 band, but like a mainstream band, like you, you would hear Epic on the radio. And the fact that he was like playing shows and like drinking urine out of shoes and people are spitting on him and he's screaming and growling, like all those things you just, you would never see like in the mainstream like that at that point in time. Uh, and it really left an impression on me. And then from there, obviously, I got into the first Bungle record came out, and that just absolutely blew me away. That was like nothing I'd ever heard. And then from there, I've just been I've been constantly and obsessively digesting everything he's done ever since. Yeah. And did you did you have any like vocal aspirations? Is is that one way in which you like look look to him? I mean, I wish you know I wish I could sing like him. Uh, in my first band. It was a death metal band called VBG. I, I was the vocalist. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a death metal grindcore band. I sung more like John Tardy or Martin Van Drunen. Um, yeah. Never had the skills to ever remotely sound like Mike Patton, so never even tried. But uh, just about everything else he did. I mean, he, he helped influence me get into experimental music and noise and then through his involvement with John Zorn, uh, Melt Banana, all these different things got, I mean, everything I do musically is greatly influenced, if not by Patton, by something Patton adjacent, even if it's not, Mm -hmm. even if it's not immediately recognizable. um, Like most of my bass playing in Aglock, it's just, it's directly from Billy Gould. It's Billy Gould inspired. Um, Mm. So it's, I mean, I cannot overstate the impact and the influence that Faith No More and the, the larger, as I call it, the Bungle family, including like Secret Chiefs 3 and a Stratosphere and things like that. I can't overstate how much of an influence all those people are to me. Yeah, and we'll for sure talk about how like Patton himself is a gateway or an entryway into a, a lot of other rabbit holes. Yeah, like there's a, sure. a, commu- a community that maybe forms, maybe not around him, but like that he's got his, he's got his guys, right? Like yep. his people yep. that he works with and, and everything like that and things that sprouted. I think that's a really important part of this whole rabbit hole. Um, but I, I did want to start with like Bungle and Faith No More, which you talked a little bit about because these bands were active uh, during the same time frames, basically. Like we're talking about yeah. like mid 80, mid 80s through mid 90s. I mean, minus like reunions and stuff. Sure. Yep. And and these are the bands where Patton really cut his teeth, right? Like, how do you look at Patton in the context of like each one of those bands compared to another? Like, what what was he doing different from like one band to the next? Do you think? Yeah, it's a really cool question. Um, I mean, obviously, Bungle was first. He was involved with Bungle first. You know, Faith No More was around with Chuck Mosley, and I love the yeah. Chuck Mosley material too. But obviously, he joined Faith No More later. I think it's pretty evident, especially from the early Bungle stuff, that they're a bunch of highly 
I really don't like using the word talent, but I think they're highly talented musicians with a lot of dedication, but also teenagers doing a lot of just ridiculous shit. And I think that yeah. really carried over into the first album. And I think that with Bungle, I think Patton was really felt free to do like whatever the fuck he wanted. And I think with Faith No More, he was like reining it in a little bit, but also pushing those boundaries. I think that, you know, his his vocals on records like Angel Dust or King for a Day, uh, he does a lot more of the, the screaming and the growling and things like that. He doesn't do that so much on the real thing. I feel like the real thing, he was just really trying to get his foot in the door, kind of feel mm. out like what this band is going to be like. And so I think his, I, I don't, I really don't think that Patton is like a leader, but I think maybe more so in Bungle, you know, than in Faith No More. But I think that Bungle is, is just an avenue for him to just fuck around where Faith No More, he's, is try, he's trying to be a little bit more elegant for lack of a better word, a little bit more streamlined. And especially if you get into like the later Faith No More records, like Album of the Year, I mean, that stuff is completely refined and, and streamlined. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's, it's hard for me to make these generalizations too, because obviously there's other people involved in these bands as well. Um, totally. And, you know, he's not writing, Patton isn't writing all the music for Faith No More or Bungle, you know. So I'm just trying to think of the way that he fits into these puzzles, you know, as a vocalist and as a composer. He does compose, but, you know, obviously he's not on stage playing a guitar either. But, uh, yeah, I think he fills completely different roles in each of those bands. Of course, the whole thing, if you just even start reading about Patton in any kind of like semi like academic review kind of way, it's like the thing that you come across all the time is like, the vocal is an instrument and yep. a lot of vocalists vocalists say that and they're right. They're like, they're all right. They're all correct about it. But like, yeah. I don't know anyone else who has like single-handedly stretched, like oh, yeah. examines the full breadth of what a voice can do across a massive body of work, both within his bands and then what he's, how, however he's collaborating, right. Or whatever he's being asked. To exactly. Do. Although I, I'm sure no one asked Patton to do, much of anything. No, no, just do your thing. Do whatever you want. I mean, I think Phantomas is the perfect example of that. You know, I hearing Phantomas for the first time, I'd never heard anything like that. You know, where he's just he's simply vocalizing. There's no words. He's just making sounds. But every time he does it, it's exactly the same. You know, you listen to those records and you see them live. And I saw them live a bunch of times. And it's, you know, it's it's note for note. It's sound for sound. It's he's not just fucking making up shit as he goes along it's 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 composed and that just absolutely blows my mind And I think the fact that he can do that, or he can do something like Mondo Cane with, you know, the Italian like pop songs. I love that. Or record, Faith No yeah. More or Disco Volante. Just like you said, the the breadth of what he can what he can do and what he's gutsy enough to do is is really, really remarkable. Yeah, for sure. Like I wrote down some notes for like I don't want to get into a bibliography of the man or anything like that, yeah. but like just in terms of like baseline of facts, 
born in 1968 so that puts him mid 50s like today Mm -hmm. he's a californian he's of italian descent i believe i believe so yeah self-taught singer producer film composer voice actor and tons and tons of musical projects like we couldn't we couldn't even start to go down that rabbit hole well we could we could start but that's like pretty much all we can do but he's also co-founded the ipecac label along with uh, greg workman yep proved to be an extremely influential label um, as well so this guy lives lives breathes music right like in all yeah. forms yeah and then the other thing that i saw was like the he has a vocal range of six octaves so i, I again technically i don't know what that means other than it's like in, in, incredibly impressive and like the fact that the dude is self-taught is just demonstrates like like a certain work ethic right a discipline yeah it's, there's work ethic there but i don't i don't know how true this is but i have read that I mean, again, like, don't hold me to this, but I've read somewhere at some point in time that there is something about his chest cavity that is larger than most for his body. And something about having a larger chest cavity allows him to do more with his lungs and diaphragm than the average person. And that's why he has such a large range. Again, I don't know if that's true, but I I read that. I think there was this Faith No More book that I got many, many years ago, like in the 90s, and I think it was in there. But again, I have no idea if that's true, but it kind of makes sense to me, maybe. But obviously a lot, a lot of dedication there too and being into a wide variety of music and, you know, all of that too. Yeah, I mean, like he, let's say that's true and he does have this like physical like advantage, I suppose. Yeah. That doesn't explain like, how that doesn't that doesn't fully like do justice to like how phenomenal this man is because like sure like the the range is incredibly impressive of course like it, allow, it allows him to venture into other territory yes but like he's I mean like look at look at Faith No More like he's he's so influential in that band for like writing verses and choruses and melodic lines that like would just get cribbed and robbed like throughout like all oh, like, yeah, alt yeah. metal and alt rock like oh, yeah. line yeah look at Bungle like this literally just a guy who is redefining like what you can do as the lead singer of, of a rock band mm-hmm. um, and having a, a group of musicians who are like very much on the same journey as him. Right. Yes. Like yes. All, all, all operating on all cylinders. So yeah, yeah. There's a lot of ways in which he's, he's influential and talented to different people in different scenes. Definitely. And I, I, I think that's a good point to bring this up too, is I've been a, I've been a patent worshiper like for most of my life at this point. But I also want to make it clear that I do not give him credit for every moment of Mr. Bungle and Faith No More and all those bands. He surrounds himself with amazing people, amazing musicians. I feel like there's a tendency to idolize Patton because he is is amazing and he is the front man. Um, And I think a lot of people give credit to a lot of, give credit to Patton and they tend to ignore the trays and the bears and the Billy Goulds and the puffies and stuff like that. Um, but obviously those people are just as important in every single one of his projects. It's just easy to latch on to Patton because he is the front man and he is the, he is the vocalist. But uh, you know, obviously those, especially the guys in Bungle, I mean, they're all just absolutely phenomenal too in different ways. Yeah, totally. So, so then that kind of takes us into this other era. Like, what what stands out to you in sort of the the post Bungle and Faith No More era of Patton's work? Do you have like certain sounds 
or like releases that you tend to gravitate to? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of funny because I look at Patton like I do John Zorn in a way, which makes sense, obviously. But, you know, I'd say I'd say like 90s Patton to like early 2000s Patton. I can't really think of anything I didn't like that he did. Now I'd say it's about 50-50 for me, maybe. Um, These I feel days? Much the same way. About, yeah, yeah. Sorry for like more current projects. Um, and I, I feel much the same about John Zorn. Like some of the stuff that he does, I absolutely adore. And some of it I just don't like at all. I feel like the concept is better than the outcome. And I feel that way with Patton sometimes too these days. But also, like, I really respect that. Like, he's trying something different. It's not to my liking. Somebody else will probably like it. I don't expect him to cater to my tastes 100% of the time, you know. Um, so there are less and less projects now that I do like. Having said that, one of my favorite Patton projects ever is n- now Dead Cross. Mm. And I shouldn't really call it a patent project. He didn't start it. He came in late. He's just a vocalist for the band. Um, but I absolutely adore dead cross and that's more of a Justin Pearson, Michael Crane type of thing. But now they've, you know, they've got Dave Lombardo on drums and Patton on vocals. And it's just, it's, it's kind of fills a void for me, uh, for patent material for a long time. He wasn't really doing anything like super heavy aside from the, the bungle reformation thing. But I love those records, and the EP is fantastic. And so Dead Cross is, has been making me really happy. Um, I don't know how to pronounce it, but it's like Tetema, Tetema, something like that. T-E-T-E-M-A. I think they have two records. That was really great. Uh, the, the Kata Patton records from a few years back were great. It's hard to even remember all the stuff I like. Oh, the... What's it called? Uh, Corpse Flower. The Corpse Flower record. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I was listening to that today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, it's so great. So for me, it's kind of funny. Like, I feel like these days the patent I like the most is either just like the balls out punk, like Dead Cross, or the super smooth, like Corpse Flower stuff. Um, and then, of course, the stuff that we're going to go over later, too. Yeah, for sure. I actually, I really like the early to late 2000s era of Patton, which may, maybe sounds a, a little strange to real Patton heads, which I am not. Like, I, you know, I'm, I'm out here posing for the most part. But um, uh, this is this is like around where Phantomus comes in. Yeah, I love that era too. I really do. 
there's so much cool stuff. Are you a tomahawk guy? Yeah, I am. I but I'm I'm kind of I love the first record. So good. Absolutely love the first record. Yeah. And then they're kind of hit and miss for me after that. Uh, the newest one was good, but it didn't have a huge... I didn't listen to it too many times after the first few listens. It wasn't so much into Anonymous. They've just been, they've been kind of hit and miss for me, but I really do like that first record. It might be his most like back to... I'm back, I want to say back to basics, but that such a thing doesn't exist and with with this guy. But you know, like yeah, like faith mean, no yeah. more, like really catchy for the most part, like really uh-huh. strong melodic like choices and yeah, really good player. Like putting really good players around him, obviously. Like that band, yeah, that band's I mean, a super group. Yep, uh, tracks like one one north and God as a coward. It kind of brings me back to like Angel Dust vibes sometimes. Mm-hmm. And for me, Angel Dust is probably in the top three best albums ever made so yeah i definitely get those those tomahawk angel dust vibes and and it's it is it's a great record i should revisit some of the later ones uh like i remember odd fellows kind of falling flat for me but i should revisit for sure because sometimes things will strike me like 10 years later for sure and there's just not a lot of rock music like these days that's being made like that like he's he's no continuing like these threads of like what he started in in faith no more and bungle to some extent of like Mm -hmm. like interesting gritty like rock music with like real fucking singing like real good choruses like like aside from like a queens of the stone age or something like that and and there's there's a lot of other smaller bands that are doing this of course like it's hard to just find like a straight ahead rock band that's not like you know, like influenced by goth stuff and bringing that in or right. like a sludge mm. metal thing or, you know what I mean? Like, like, or like pop punk right. or something like that. Yeah. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's just like kind of like straight ahead, like heavy rock, like maybe indebted a bit to the nineties or whatever. Right. You, I think this era, you also get like a lot and correct me if I'm wrong, you get a lot of like patents for into like hip hop, electronic music, trip hop, which, yeah, which like I love that. the dudes, love the dudes it. always been interested in that stuff. Clearly like, for sure. But he's contributing to Bjork's Medulla album. Oh my God, I forgot about that. Yes. Yeah, with Rozelle beatboxing, amazing. You got yeah. the Lovage yeah. and Peeping Tom albums with Dan the Automator come, come out around oh, around yeah. here. Um, he's got a yeah. record with Executioners, the rap album. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, I, I've actually never listened to the whole thing, but it, I kept coming up on like different playlists and I was like, what is this? I, I'm not huge on this. It, <laughs> it's it's got It's got its moments. Yeah. But he's, yeah. you know, obviously branching well well beyond like alternative rock and metal worlds or anything. And then a lot of people love the the EP he did with Dillinger. I don't. I think it's great. And I'm not a Dillinger like fan. I just think he worked really well with that band on that thing. And I'm glad it was just like a, a one-off or whatever. Like I think it was even in between yep. vocalists, right? I, I'm not sure. But I think, yeah, I think that's right. I think it like it's the bridge between like Dillinger's like chaotic, like straight up mathy shit that they were doing in like the nineties mm-hmm. and then right. newer Dillinger with the new singer who is like absolutely a patent worshiper. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's something I should revisit. I just remember I'd never really cared about Dillinger, but you know, I also haven't listened to that EP since it came out. So I, I should revisit it. Just, I remember for me, I was just like, oh, it's just, I don't know. It didn't, it didn't hit me. For someone who didn't come up on like Faith No More and Bungle was like a little bit later when that, mm-hmm. when that came out and I heard what he was doing on top of the songs. Cause he's doing like Bungle-esque stuff on a couple of right. those tracks, like really wild shit. And like the, ba- the band is kind of pulling it off too. 
they're a great band. You know, they're they're awesome, but it just it's too much into death metal. <laughs> no, I, 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 you know? I get it. It's it's not your kind of heavy. Yeah, it's not it's not my kind of heavy. Everything that came after that, like giant patent influence with the, with the other singer. <laughs> like, yeah, if you've ever heard well, any of that stuff, like you'll you'll place it right away. I I yeah I haven't, but you know every time I hear any type of like modern rock, you know whether it's like Gojira or Mastodon or whatever, I'm like oh, I'm I hear Patton like in so many people. So he gets a lot of shit. Maybe he doesn't personally, but a lot of people would be like, oh, Corn, first Slipknot yeah. album, System of a Down, early Incubus, like doesn't exist without Patton, right. and I think it's true. Yeah, I think it's true to, to a degree, but I don't want to put that on his shoulders no 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 of, uh, co- of course not uh, i've had a lot of people tell me or i've heard a lot of people say that new metal wouldn't exist without without king for a day and i can see why they say that and that could be true i don't know but you know i i, I don't want to blame one band for this huge abscess on a scene it never you know, it so, never works uh, out that way that's never fully true i mean you can't like what do yeah. you tell me you're not going to bring in like mid period metallica like into that conversation too like Oh, man, I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. If you're going to have a nuanced conversation about that, what they're talking about, maybe, if I've thought about this, is like Jonathan Davis from Corn doing like the scatting stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then like the yeah. fucking idiot from Distur- Disturbed. Disturbed doing the <laughs> yeah. the thing. Like wow. some people are like, these yeah. are like Patton-ish, like-esque things that he was like doing in Bungle and, and stuff like that. And, and I mean, and that's true, but... Let's blame load instead of faith no more. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting conversation to have, though. You know, I'm I'm way too old to have gotten into new metal, so I don't really have a real good perspective on that. I know I did see Bungle when they did that Snowcore tour. I think it was with System of a Down, and I can't remember who else. Some other new metal band. And uh, they're getting bungles getting booed off the stage every night because they're playing California material. Crazy. And then it was like some dude from Incubus or, you know, some of the one of those bands was like, hey, you motherfuckers, like none of us would be on the stage if it wasn't for Mr. Bungle. So like show some respect. And Hmm. that was cool. But I just I can't I can't do the new metal shit. Yeah, I mean, there's Patton on the Sepultura track off of Roots. What is it called? Oh, and, yeah, and John, I think Jonathan that. Davis is on that too. I'm not. Is he really? Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a Roots. Oh. I'm not a Roots guy at all. But I did. I can't stand Roots. Yeah, at all. But like Chaos AD is even like half, like half and half for me. Agreed. Agreed. But Sepultura. This is a whole nother podcast. But Sepultura. I mean, they're like one of the most important metal bands for me ever. Um, Beneath the Remains and Arise are just absolute masterpieces. Uh, but yeah, after that, I just couldn't couldn't really do it. And then I was really excited to see Patton with Sepultura, and then his Roots. I'm just, ugh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm with you on the sep- not my thing. on the Sepultura stuff. Like as vi- yeah. as vital as like the first like three metallic albums, in my opinion. Like just crazy. Well, that's again, that's a whole other podcast. I've made this <laughs> argument to the Aglock guys many times. I feel like Arise. I feel like if the second half of Arise was as good as the first half, Sepultura could have been bigger than Metallica. And I know that's like a huge claim, but that for that side A of Arise is like possibly the best metal music ever made, mm. in my opinion. 
So, but I'm also an Angestus guy, so that's my favorite Metallica. So. Yeah. Well, and they, they, I mean, they arguably were as big as Metallica in Brazil, like at a certain point, right? Like as big as yeah, as big and, as Metallica was in the U.S. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Undoubtedly. But yeah, that's that's another podcast. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I don't want to get. I don't want to get too too far fetched. I think what maybe might be just as interesting as Patton himself is, and I talked a little bit about this, like the universe that he operates in. And the first thing I think that I can deduce from him is that, like, seemingly, it seems like he'll work with like just about anyone on the entire musical continuum. But there's obviously people that he keeps close, right? You, you mentioned John Zorn. Yep. You know, the, some of the Bungle guys too. Like yep. Terry, uh, Trevor Dunn, uh, King Buzzo. I mean, like pe- people like yep. that. Yep. But do you have a do you have a sense, I guess, about like the circle that he keeps? Or is there like certain collaborators that you just get so excited when you know that the, those two are like working together on something, even if it's just like a track or a one-off or something? Yeah. Is um, there certain magical moments between Patton and like one other person that you think are like good rabbit holes for people to go down? Yeah, that's a great question. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I get excited whenever he works with Trevor because they're best friends and they've been best friends since they were like early teens and they were in a high school band together and they've done all this stuff together. They have this chemistry that's unlike, I'm not going to say like unlike anything else, but like it's unlike anything else as far as I can tell in Patton's career. And it says a lot when Patton starts a project and they do a record and then, Oh, all of a sudden Trevor's playing in it, you know? Um, Like he's, like I said, they're BFFs. Um, And whenever he works with Trevor and Trevor is, He's my favorite bass player. So my favorite vocalist, my favorite bass player, when they get together, it's it's magic. And then you get stuff like Carrie Stress in the jaw. Like, mm. I mean, it's all you need to to hear. I mean, Carrie Stress just, like, to me, like exemplifies how they can work together and their relationship together. Just that intro part where it's just Patton and Trevor. And it's fucking mind blowing. Yeah. So obviously Trevor, Trey too, I mean, for obvious reasons and similar reasons. And Trey is, I think he's the best songwriter out of anyone that, that Patton's ever worked with. And I think that really shows in the Secret Chiefs records, especially like mid period to current stuff, uh, Book of Horizons, Book M, things like that. Just unparalleled songwriting. Uh, so I get excited about Trey when, when I saw Dead Cross tour for the first record secret chiefs opened and that was when Patton and Trey still apparently had like quote unquote bad blood. But the fact that they were opening for dead cross gave me hope that bungle would do something. And I was just so excited, (laughs) so excited. Um, so yeah, obviously Trey, again, I loved the Kata records, the two Kata records they did together. It's just, I love it when he works with hip hop and electronic artists. He always kills it. Um, 
yeah, I would love to see him do more stuff with Rozelle or Butterscotch, like fucking Butterscotch. Like she was insane. When I saw Peeping Tom, she was there instead of Rozelle. Oh, awesome. And I didn't know Peeping Tom played live. That's great. It. Yeah, yeah. They toured on that, you know, one and only record, even though apparently he has two more done and he's had them done for like 20 years. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to remember all the artists that he works with that I get excited for whenever they tease faith, no more stuff. I get really excited. That last record I thought was kind of half and half for me. I mm-hmm. thought there were some great tracks. Some of it I wasn't too into like motherfucker. Like really, that's kind of a bullshit track. Sunny side up. That's not good. Uh, but there's some really good stuff on that record. What about the last bungle record? Do you have a couple hours? Cause I could, I could go on and on about <laughs> this one. Thesis statement. Uh, yeah. So I mean, I assume you're talking about the Raging Wrath yeah. re-recording. Yeah. Okay, so I'm 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 split down the middle. That's not entirely true. I'm about 70-30. 70% of me says, fuck yes, Bungle's back. I'm stoked. 30% of me says, that's not Bungle. And they're only playing stuff that they, you know, from their demo from when they're in high school. I choose to be happy and I choose to be excited. So when... When Bungle announced that they were playing those shows, and this was just totally out of the blue. Mm-hmm. I had no fucking idea. I was at work. They announced a flyer. There's a show in LA. I ran over to my coworker, literally in tears. I was crying. <laughs> Love and it. I said, Bungle is back. And he's like, what? And I'm like, I don't have time to talk about this with you. Bungle's <laughs> back. And I went and I, and I bought a plane ticket. And I got a ticket. Well, I tried to get a ticket, but they sold out immediately. Ended up getting a ticket through a scalper for like $400. Flew down to LA for the weekend. Went to the show with a friend of mine who's a longtime Patton fan as well. And I just chose to be happy, you know? I just, to see them play together, even if it is just Trevor and Trey and and Patton together, um, only playing the demo stuff. Still, it's it's killer material. They play it really well. It's kind of like the best thrash record ever. Yeah. Um, it's really good material. It's not like it's like bullshit material. I mean, Scott Ian's a hell of a rhythm guitarist. Dave Lombardo's like one of the best metal drummers ever. So like, yeah, it fucking ruled. And it was a lot of fun. I do wish that they would come back with Bear and Danny and, you know, whoever else and play some of the stuff off the albums. But that's not what they're doing right now. Yeah. So. I just choose to be happy. Was it was it known before that they would only be playing that? Like, is that the yep. was that the yep. expectation in place? And like, yep. maybe we'll get a surprise, but not counting on it, kind of thing. I was kind of hoping there'd be a surprise. I kind of was hoping they would close with like goodbye sober day or something. But I oh. get it. Like, they don't really have the members to do something like that at this point. You know, they just announced some more shows a month ago, and I bought tickets immediately. Again, just choosing to be happy. I have friends that are like, I don't want to see, I don't care. Like they're not playing album stuff like fucking Scott Ian, you know, like what is this? Yeah. I totally understand. I totally get it. Sure. But I just, I, I have a good time. And especially when Patton was struggling with his, his issues of, uh, of uh, agoraphobia and things like that. I was just thinking, you know, I really want to take these opportunities to see Patton when I can. So Yeah. That's that's where I stand on that. Yeah, no, I get it. Like the positive mental attitude. Don't let like a new a new incarnation of the band be a be an obstacle 
to to your yeah. to your enjoyment of them and get to experience what you what they're choosing to let you experience. And that's that's a really good point, right? Right there, what you said, like what they're choosing to let me experience. Like it's I've, what they can give right now, right? Like, and they're giving it. So, right. And I I very much believe, and that's what an artist should do. Like when I like if I'm traveling and I go to a foreign country, and I'm in a restaurant, I say just give me what you think I should have. Like, I want the artist to be like, here's what I'm giving you. I don't want to be dictating what the artist gives me. So in that regard, I'm very, very happy to accept, you know, proto thrash songs that were written 30 some years ago. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 30 years ago. I mean, like that's not too long after like the original thrash stuff was like coming out. Right. Like, yeah, well actually it's, it's closer to 40 years now, not 30. It's, it's, I mean, it's like 85 or something. So it's closer to 40 years. But yeah, I mean, they were highly influenced by Slayer and SOD and things like that. So yeah, I mean, they were actually before a lot of like the thrash bands, a lot of people like know. So. Mm-hmm. And and kind of like lastly, on like kind of just analyzing Patton here. Like, do you, do you have a sense of what vocalists like Patton has been influenced throughout his career? And I know that that's a crazy, kind of a crazy question to ask, but like, just yeah. through like interviews or like um, your own ears, like what, like what are you what are you hearing in like this fucking massive cornucopia of like what this guy pulls from? Because he's obviously first and foremost like a lover of of music, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I know at one point he was a huge fan of Sade. Hmm. Uh, when I met him at Powell's before that Phantomas show, I brought that up and I was like, "Oh, like you're into Sade, right?" And he's like, "Well, yeah." When I was like twelve, so. <laughs> Um, maybe Sade, maybe not. I know he's influenced by a lot of, a lot of hip hop artists. Um, and I can only assume a lot of stuff that I'm just not familiar with. It seems like he's interested in in a lot of Italian pop, uh, a lot of like klezmer, maybe like Balkan styles of music that I just not familiar with. I think he gets a lot of influence from a lot of genres that aren't necessarily related to what he's creating. Totally. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, that's a tough one. I mean, I, I just don't know who he would be influenced by. Um, and I've, you know, I've heard him talk about it like a little bit, like who he's listening to, but I haven't really heard much about like who he's actually influenced by. Well, and he may not be influenced by like strictly vocalists. Like you said, klezmer music, like he, he could be influenced mm-hmm. by like, the the instrumentation and scales of that music and then pulling that off vocally somehow right right yeah 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 that very well could be true i i did i did a little bit of like looking up on this just to see if he's ever said anything and like he's he, he definitely has like an admiration for a lot of like the traditional side of like vocalists like you know mm-hmm. and you know, like the vocalist at piano and you morricone stuff so like he likes loves sinatra Diamanda Ga- Gallus, uh, Burt back, back oh, totally around, like sense. stuff like that. Like, like he pull, he pulls all that stuff in, of course. Yeah. Um, and I think you're totally right. Like, there's definitely a pronounced like R and B influence on his music. Like, yeah. like old yeah. soul music, Motown, like Stevie Wonder, uh-huh. Prince Shade. Yep. That's all there. I was just gonna say, especially if you listen to, um, you know, certain Faith No More tracks, like RV. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the Easy Cover, yeah. Evidence, like. Uh, a lot of stuff on album of the year. There's a lot of like, for lack of a better word, like just like old school crooning, like especially even the video for evidence, like all dressed in suits and snapping their fingers with sunglasses on. Yeah. And 
I mean, he can he can croon with the best. Of yeah, them. he's got respect for that that old school like like yeah. way of, way yeah. of doing it. I mean, like I think people, I guess, immediately like music nerds would be like, oh, like Zappa and Beefheart and Tom Waits and shit like that. But like, who who actually yeah, knows? Sure. Maybe it's just because they, they they're all like unorthodox, like versatile vocalists. Yeah. I don't know. I would imagine him respecting that, but honestly, I I, I don't really see him being too much into it. Yeah, you know, it seems like his. It seems like his tastes would lie elsewhere. I mean, that's just a weird thing for me to say. I don't, I don't know the guy. Like, for example, Bungle. T- I I saw talk to you know the band the Cardiacs. Oh yeah, uh huh. Big fans of that band, right? But that that Makes doesn't sense. mean that doesn't yeah. mean that Patton is like you know influenced by like um what's the name Tim Smith's like vocals necessarily. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you can kind of hear a through line. I was listening to something the other day. Oh, Gong. Do you know that prog band Gong from like the 70s? Oh, I I do, but I don't think I've ever listened to them. Actually. I was listening to some track and maybe I'll, I'll slice it in here because it was just so, it was so proto-patent. It was this track called Radio Gnome and what the singer is doing on that track. It just strikes, the singer's this guy named David Allen, really out there, dude. Obviously, like, I'm not saying Patton, like, heard Gong and was like, oh, okay, I've got to start doing that. Like, that's not how, that's right, not how right. the show works at all. But, like, it just yeah. sounded so much like something Patton would do, like, later on. You kill me, but I don't see you. You feel me, one day I'll be. Patna's influence like everyone under the fucking sun it seems but I think a lot of like yes. this celebrated kind of like weirder era of start kind of rock stuff in the past 15 years like Mars Volta Sleepy Time Gorilla mm-hmm. Museum Zeal and, Zeal oh, yeah. and Arder like even Giant uh-huh. Squid like I know friend you know yeah uh, <laughs> yep. bandmate and friend like there like yep. and I can't I, I, I was really wanted to know what you think of this like I can't prove this I don't know if this is right but I know you're a big Oliver guy do you hear Patton in some of like Garms like mid in like later periods albums, like stuff like Perdition City or Shadows of the Sun or Blood Inside, like that kind of stuff? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yep. Yeah. Uh, when Perdition City, <clears throat> excuse me, when Perdition City came out, yeah, I heard it all over it. But to be fair, I don't know if that's just sure. like a male vocalist <laughs> singing over music I like. But I, I definitely get some Patton vibes from Garm here and there. Um, especially on Perdition City, Shadows of the Sun. Yeah, I, I hear it a lot of places. It's it's hard to know, you know, where it comes from, obviously. But yeah, yeah, I definitely hear it in Oliver. Yeah, it's just it's just to say, like the the man's shadow like looms looms large on on a, on, on, sure. on so much stuff, and maybe just the very last thing I want to touch on before I get into these tracks is like his persona, which of course, like we're not. I'm not qualified in any kind of level to speak about, but like, he, I think sometimes he's painted as like a like an antihero or something. Some of the time, yeah, or like a kinda, or like yeah. a cranky guy <laughs> or something. I think only really because there's some really funny, funny like YouTube videos out there of him like 
uh-huh. talking some really funny shit about like just some funny sound but sound bites of him and i i don't know i personally that attracts me to like his his persona too like i think it's I oh think me it's too awesome. like yeah the whole wolf mother clip you know and these are all things that really i've been wanting to do for five years so in a strange way are you hearing this What year are we in? Forgive me, but Wolf Mother, you suck. <laughs> Help me! Am I f-ing crazy? Can I get an amen? But it's only, it's only like it's only six seven Oh my God! Enough already. In my opinion, it's it does it adds to the to his charm. I mean, that's part of the reason that I was attracted to him in the first place in the real thing era is he has this like snotty, almost like British punk mm. kind of persona where, you know, Saturday Night Live, he's climbing up on the big fan or he's, you know, people are spitting into his mouth in Argentina as he's singing and he's drinking the spit or he's drinking urine out of a shoe. He's got this like just kind of like old school British, like snotty punk vibe to him. And I think that that's just exhibited in those videos, like the Wolf Mother one or the Mondo Kane performance. And I think it was, I think it was Disturbed or Incubus again, like playing in the the stage next door. And he's like, shut the fuck yeah. up. And he's like singing like, won't you shut the fuck up? It's and Stone Sour. I don't know why I remember that. Stone Sour. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> um, but I think it just adds to the, the, the personality. Um, and yeah, it's kind of, it can be kind of dickish, but I think he means it in the best humor possible. Maybe. I don't know. I appreciate it though. You know, and he has a whole history of being the shit terrorist, um, about, you know, shitting in the vents and different hotels on tour. I mean, I don't think that's necessarily cool, but I think it's indicative of a certain mindset of someone when they get to do the things that he's done and the, the level of fame that he was acquiring on such a rapid level and being on the world stage like that, I think you do go a little nuts and you lash out in weird ways or like the whole feud with Axl Rose mm. or, you know, the whole reason they, do you know the story about Ipecac? Like how they got the name for Ipecac? No. So I don't remember where or why, but Patton signed a contract with Bungle or Faith No More. I think it was one of the two. He wasn't very happy about the contract, but he signed it anyway. And then he ate a giant burrito and then got a bottle of Ipecac. And he went into like the CEO's office and drank the whole bottle of Ipecac and then threw up the entire burrito all over the guy's <laughs> desk and the contract. And so then that was the, why they called the label Ipecac. Wow, that's incredible. It was like yeah. almost like the more opportunities he got and like the bigger the spotlight, the more of like a fucking like shit throwing punk he became or like i'm sure it's in him all along but like he's just so anti like authority and anti-establishment like consistently like as he as as he goes on and he gives off this like i'm not serious like kind of thing to somebody who right doesn't like appreciate maybe the music but then you see like the breadth of the music he does you see that his like you listen to like his performances on like the ivan gang album that is like will bring tears to your eyes and you're like this guy is nothing but serious when it comes to music. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, if you haven't seen the footage in Ar- in Argentina where the people are spitting in his mouth, you have to YouTube it. It's amazing. I think it's like... I remember seeing that, yeah. King for a... Yeah, Angel Dust era, maybe King for a Day era. Yeah, standing on the side of the stage with his tongue hanging out, just <laughs> asking people to spit in his mouth. Insane, absolutely insane. But yeah, I think that's why he gets like a lot of that like anti-hero and, you know, he's a... Yeah, I... I struggle a little bit with those with those uh, those concepts um and that behavior but it does make me more attracted to him as well <laughs> yeah for sure we were, we we're all like you know we we're all punks at some point in our lives yep. right? like it's for just sure just channeling yeah. back to that all right well i think we should probably get into these tracks that you picked here um sure. so i asked you to put together a handful of tracks that i guess the assignment was like maybe show the more underappreciated or like deeper kind of cuts of pattern, but ultimately it's just the stuff that you, you love and, and you want to show. Yeah. Um, so I've had a lot of fun listening to these tracks over the, over the past few weeks. This first one is the track, Mr. Nice Guy from Bungle. And this is on the OU818 cassette from 89. California is one of my favorite albums ever. And I love all the Bungle stuff, yeah. but I don't go like as deep as like this demo. So I I, okay, I had never heard this, but this is Mr. Bungle's fourth demo, right? And this is the last track on there from my research. Yeah. Okay. I agree. That's cool. And I know some of these songs would make it onto the self-titled, right? But this one, this one didn't. Yes, this one didn't. So so why'd you why'd you go with this one? And what's kind of like your your history with this track and release? Well, Mr. Nice Guy, it didn't make it to the debut record, even though I think it would fit perfectly on that record. I think it's, it's just, it fits really well. It would fit really well in that first record, but I just, I, there's something about this song that just really exemplifies that first era of Bungle for me. It's got like the, like the puking sounds the Patton's doing. It's got like the weird repetitive things that he does. It's got these really nice genre hopping in it, but it's really well integrated. It's, I don't see anything in this song that would make me go like, oh, this isn't why they didn't use it for the, or this is why they didn't use it for the first record. I see no flaws in it. It's actually one of my favorite Bungle songs. They played it live a bunch back in the day, but just never recorded it for an album. Patton, in the, especially in the beginning of the song, he really has this really like unique to Patton, super nasally, like snotty, yeah. <laughs> vocal style like right in the beginning and i love it it just it just hits me just right and he's doing it on top of like like funk metal (laughs) yeah yeah and trevor's bass playing on this song is just absolutely outstanding um it's just it's just an amazing song and just a lot of people don't know it because it hasn't been on one of the albums but like i said they did used to play it live a bunch but i mean in the 80s (laughs) so you know, just a lot of people aren't familiar with it. And it's like I said, it's one of my favorite bungle bungle tracks. It's also got really fucking amazing metal like guitar parts. Like, yeah, the, uh-huh. the yep. main like bridge. I guess it's a, maybe a chorus riff. It's hard. It's hard to tell because the, the song structures or whatever. Yeah. That riff is f- insane. Yeah. Even like when like the synths kick in, like on certain parts where it gets a little heavier like that, that I'm like, oh, that's like that's like a faith no more kind of like thing. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. That's something I didn't think about. But that's kind of funny because it is it's kind of like a woodpecker from Mars type of thing almost. And that's 
funny because that was before he was involved with Faith No More. So, yeah, this this track just has so many like catchy moments and so many twists and turns. It's like seven or eight songs like put together. Do, do you know mm-hmm. anything about the skit in the beginning or the end of the song? I kind of tried finding something out. I even read like I went to the YouTube page for the song and just like scrolled through the comments. I'm like, it's got to be some like bungleheads in here who know this. Uh, so I knew at one point and now I can't remember. Oh, wait. I do know. I do know. It is. Oh, I'm, I'm probably going to say this wrong because I can only remember part of it. It has to do with Millie Vanilli. There's the same skit at the beginning of a Millie Vanilli oh. track. I'm like 90% positive, but not in the silly voices, but it's the same words. And so they're making fun of it. I'm all, like I'm like 90% sure that's what it is. I'll have to look that up later. But yeah, I think it's a Millie Vanilli thing. So what are you doing back? Well, I sat back and thought about the things we used to do. It really meant a lot to me. You mean a lot to me. I really mean that much to you? Girl, you know it's true. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it is, though. <laughs> that's great. Well, um, is there anything else you want to touch on on the song? I don't think so. Just uh, I was excited to choose this one because, like I said, it's one of my favorite Bungle tracks. And, you know, I've, I've seen Bungle many times. I never got to see this live. It's just it's a great song. At first, it was a little it was a little too uncomfortably funk metal for me. Like just the, just the oh, beginning. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then like uh-huh. after like 10, 15 listens, like it, it ceases to even yeah. be a thing. Like I was born in the early 80s like california like the, the birthplace there was a lot of a lot oh, yeah. of a lot uh, of funk metal bands a lot of that ha- happen yeah. in there so like i have some i have some tolerance for it for sure but yeah let's listen to mr nice guy from mr bungle i sat around and thought about the things we used to do it really meant a lot to me you mean a lot to me i really mean that much to you
Jason, next up you had Absolute Zero from Faith No More. This was a B-side from King for a Day, Fool for a Lifetime. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, kind of the same reason I picked the Mr. Nice Guy from Bungle. Um, Absolute Zero is one of my favorite Faith No More songs that a lot of people don't know about. I don't think they played it live very much. They did now and then, if I recall correctly. But yeah, this is a B-side, just totally overlooked. Um, but it's, I mean, it, it's professionally recorded. It's not a demo of any sort. It's, and it, for me, it's one of my favorite songs. It's, uh, kind of reminiscent of something that would be on angel dust. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of caffeine. Yeah. It's got a lot of that, like heavy Tom work on the drums. Um, the guitar lines are really heavy. The chorus is really beautiful. Really. The chorus kind of reminds me of album of the year where it's just like almost like hyper melodic just kind of the same thing like I just wanted people to hear this song I, I would assume that most Faith No More fans even if they call themselves like diehard fans wouldn't know about this because you'd have to collect all the shit yeah. and at one point in time I collected all the shit I don't have all the shit anymore but I used to um, but this is just a standout track for me absolutely awesome yeah and this was uh, King for a Day is the what the third album with Patton on it right that's the third so one. Yep, with this is the third one. Okay, so yeah, they were they were they're obviously like still really building up and and had that chemistry and and everything like that. Um, since you're way more in this world, do, do you find that there's a lot of overlap between Faith No More and Bungle fans, or are there? A, I'm sure you run into people that fit all the camps, right? Like firmly yeah, in one, yeah. not in the other. But yeah, it's funny. It's um, yeah. It I mean, it's all over the place. For me, it's hard for me to imagine not loving both because they're just in my DNA and I've loved them both for most of my life now. But I mean, I get it both ways. Usually the complaints I hear is like, Oh, bungles too weird. That just seems like a dumb excuse to me. But you know, then on the other hand, people are like, Oh, faith no more is it's too like safe or it's too poppy or whatever. And I think that's kind of a lame excuse too. Mm -hmm. Like 
have you heard jizz lobber? Like that's not <laughs> fucking safe. So I don't know, but I, I get it. I mean, they're both difficult bands in different ways. And so I get it when people are kind of weird about it, but it seems like I would say most people that I know now like Bungle more than Faith No More. When I was a teenager, definitely people liked Faith No More more than Bungle. So um, I think California really shifted that tide. I think that was just a perfectly integrated, like massive weirdness with like a nice polish on the top of it. It like fools people into thinking it's a normal record right. when it's completely not. So yeah, it's just, I get a lot from everybody about different opinions on it. Um, so it's, it's, it's hard to say. Uh, but I think for the most part now, like I said, I think most people are that I talk to anyway are more into Bungle. Sure. And, you know, Faith and More, obviously, they had, you know, their own audience that they brought in, like, by virtue of being on MTV and being like, yeah, I, I don't know yeah. if I'd ever call them like a radio band. Like they had there was there were singles, but nothing, nothing like that. A couple, nothing like yeah. the 90s all shit that was happening. Nothing, nothing no, like no, no, remotely no. like Soundgarden or no, not even no, not even close. But um, I do I do feel like they're they're kind of like driving like heavy rock. It's that's just like you know more often than not like super melodic. That is <laughs> almost gone extinct mm. at this point. But I know will like influence people who just want to do a rock band like forever. I think yeah yeah yeah. It's it's, it's funny. I just thought of something. Um, we we're talking about Angel Dust and Caffeine and stuff. Uh, there was a performance of Fifth No More Angel Dust era on a segment on MTV called Hanging with MTV. Are you familiar with this no, one? I never heard it. They play Caffeine and they play, uh, I can't remember the other one they play. Oh, Midlife Crisis. But in between the two songs, they do this weird improv, just noise thing where Patton's screaming and rolling around on the floor and they're just banging on their instruments and Puffy's doing a blast beat. And this is on like, MTV like early 90s like completely out of left field but uh yeah anybody that's curious you should YouTube that too it's just hanging with MTV Faith No More amazing I was actually I guested in a band once that they formed the whole idea of the band over that or around that noise piece so they basically copped that idea and uh, formed a band in Minneapolis called Sauce and that's all we did was just like pound on our instruments and scream and roll around on the floor. And it was all because of this like little two minute interlude that Faith No More did. But yeah, great clip. Yeah, if that was on primetime MTV, that was probably a lot of people's first time seeing like a no like a proper live noise freak out. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I was I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. Yeah, that's awesome. I definitely have to check that out for sure. Anything else on Absolute Zero? This is an incredible track. I thought I'd I thought I'd heard this before, but I don't I don't think I had. It just it just so fits into like this this particular era of the band, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, not that I can think of. No, that pretty much covers it, I think. All right, well let's take a listen to Absolute Zero from Faith No More.
All right, next up, you picked Dizzy Spells by Hemophiliac. This is two, 2002 self-titled album. I had never heard this before, so I, I was fresh to this one. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to get some more of Patton's crazy experimental noise stuff uh, on here. This is, I would never call Hemophiliac one of my favorite Patton projects, but this one kind of stuck with me. It's with John Zorn and IQ Mori. Mm-hmm. Uh, this track in particular, he does some, you know, really nice, like distorted vocals. He about like halfway through the track, there's this really nice, weird, like chanty section that kind of reminds me of like a goodbye sober day or something off of California. Totally. Yeah. Again, not one of my favorite records, but I think it just really shows a nice side of Patton that, uh, we haven't like dived, dived into yet. Right. Um, when this record came out, they were selling copies of it autographed. I bought one. And I have no idea where it is now. It disappeared somewhere. But it was it was autographed by Patton Zorn and IQ Mori. Um, and it's the only time I've ever had a Patton autograph. Oh. Again, it's like I, I must have I must have gotten hungry and sold it or something at some point in time. But uh, yeah, it's it's a cool record. It's not one of those records you're going to throw on all the time, but um, it's very interesting. It is, and I didn't realize that. Ikumori was in the band uh, DNA, that no wave band from like the eighties. I had no idea. Oh, I don't think I knew that either. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I I wouldn't recognize the name or anything like that. But I know I know I've heard DNA, like the the old band from like the eighties, like New York, like experimental scene, mm-hmm. like no wave scene. It makes sense why John Zorn is is hanging out with <laughs> too, you know? For sure, yeah. But yeah, I mean, this this strikes me as. Do you know if this is an improvisational project, like to some extent? I would assume, to some extent, yeah, I would assume. I mean, I like this track in particular because in the beginning, there's this particular noise that you can't really place, or at least I couldn't place it. And then about a minute into it, you're like, "Oh shit, that's Patton! Like that's that's a voice." But it's kind of hard to latch onto it first. Um, I would assume, you know. A lot of times with Zorin, they have like outlines of things they want to do. Um, so I would assume it's kind of one of those things where it's like it's improv, but within like certain paradigms. But I don't know. I don't know. But I can't imagine. I mean, with some of the stuff, there's just no way you can compose it completely. So I would imagine they have a loose idea of what they're doing and they just go for it. And like the thing about Patton, too, like it's very clear when like he pops into this track in a very obvious way. Right. Like it's, it's yes. unmistakable, but yeah. there are other tracks yeah. that I've heard that feature Mike Patton where I'm like, I'm like, where, where, where is he? Like, what's he doing? Yeah. Where, where is, is he? he? Exactly. Is he singing? Yeah. Like he's not singing. He's doing something else. And I just got to like, yep. I got to reach, I got to yep. retrain my ears to like, to pick this up or perhaps mm-hmm. it's just, too, it's too subtle to pick up. Exactly. It totally reminded me of, of goodbye sober day um, off of California. And, and it's like this simultaneously like jarring maybe silly at the same time but like beautiful like all happening yeah at once and he's just such mm-hmm. a fucking master of like the absurd i don't know if that's what he's going for but he's just like making you making you laugh and cry at the same time like mm-hmm. he's so good at yep. that and that those kind of vocal freakouts i never know whether he's like just saying gibberish but i'm an arabic speaker and i did he does say a, a word kahraba in it i think and that means electricity in arabic so i'm wondering if he's like oh, if wow. he's kind of like doing a language word salad thing here yeah it could i be. have no idea but I, I kept 
rewinding it being like i think he's saying kahraba which means like like electricity <laughs> or power right. he keeps saying that but he could just be saying gibberish and it's just came out that way and it happens to could happens be. to be yeah. a word to recognize yeah i don't know but um th- this was this was an awesome track i don't think i got through the i made a point to listen to the to add the album to my spotify to listen to it later but i haven't actually listened to it but stoked to get into this one yeah so this is dizzy spells from hemophiliac Ba la ina ti ba le ni kara se ka 
All right, next up is the track To Catch a Thief from Lovage. I know this is a... This is one of your faves, and this is a lot of people. Yep. This is one of a lot of people's favorite patent projects, it seems. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, when I first heard about this, honestly, I was skeptical. Um, I'm not really sure why. I don't really remember why I was skeptical of it, but I slept on it for a little bit. And this was this came out in what, like 2001, yeah. I think? Maybe 2002? Oh, one. Yeah. one, yeah, okay. So, but I remember just... It might have even been like the first patent project that I was aware of that I didn't just like run and grab a copy right away. But yeah, I slept on it for like a week and then my wife was out of town and I'm like, I'm just going to go to the store and just grab it and just see. And it completely bowled me over. And now it's one of my favorite patent projects. Absolutely love this record. They just recently reissued it on vinyl this last year and I got a copy. Uh, This is my favorite song on the record, I think. I just love the chemistry that Patton and Jennifer Charles have together on this record. It's so sultry and sexy and sleazy and the lyrics fit perfectly. And Patton's delivery is just so like, it just sounds like humid and dark and uh, the whole record is just so groovy and catchy. And uh, it's just a fantastic record. He does a lot of that really deep, voice like yep. sultry yep. voice singing that he does mm-hmm. on this one too yep i know i had heard this like sometime in the um, maybe mid 2000s or so because i was this was the time i was getting it's like deltron 3030 dr octagon stuff like that okay stuff like that oh yeah, yeah. and this is dan the automator who is like you know very much attached to you know deltron mm-hmm. hand you know handsome boy modeling school a lot of other hip-hop and electronic yep. stuff and then yeah jennifer charles of elysian fields is on vocals here and then kid mm-hmm. koala on turntables that's right kid koala yep. yep yeah um and this is just a great like you know trip hop kind of song like um and this album reflects obviously like that different side of Patton. he's still a really eccentric and experimental of course but i don't know he's 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 a little toned down like the mood wise um there's some there's yeah. some control here. Yep. And and I think uh he has this ability to channel very sleazy and schlocky vibes. That's like Oh just, yeah, he does. That's yeah. just so it's almost like car- cartoonish, but it's also something to like just just admire so much. Yeah. Every time I listen to this record, I just think it's just it's just such a sexy record, you know? It's just the bass grooves on it and the vocals and the, oh, the interplay just, between vocalists is so great. It's so creative. It, it's so great. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, I'm not familiar with Jennifer Charles outside of this record. Um, the Elysian fields that I grew up on is a Greek death metal band. Oh, really? Um, it's definitely, it's definitely not them. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, actually I should check out, I should check out her work. Cause I really like her voice on this record. There's a few like, male female like i don't know they're not duets or whatever but like he does play mm-hmm. really really well off of like female voices on a lot of stuff yes. and it tends i think for mm-hmm. him and i haven't listened to like a fraction of his total output with other vocalists but it tend, i notice it does tend to be like this lane where it's like electronic and hip-hop music and kind of like la- yeah. lounge kind of like influence stuff too yeah 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 mm-hmm so awesome. Yeah. This is yeah, one of my favorite patent records. Uh I wish they would do more, but uh yeah, absolutely love this one. Yeah, yeah, this is fantastic. So this is To Catch a Thief from Lovage.
I feel that you shouldn't get involved in an intimate relationship until you are emotionally mature enough to handle it totally, able to cope with your feelings and your sexuality without guilt, inhibition, or phoniness, but with love, tenderness, and honesty. Next up, we've got Secret Chiefs 3. The track is called La Chanson de Jackie. This is from Book of Souls, Folio A, 2013 album. And I definitely recognize this one. I actually never heard this version, but I know the Scott Walker version. Okay. Yeah. Uh huh. Yep. That's the one that most people know. Yeah. Why, why did you go with this one and maybe talk a bit about Secret Chiefs 3 too, which Patton is not a member of? Correct. Yeah. So um, I picked this one because it's just, it's so different for Secret Chiefs 3. And it's pretty different for Patton. Not completely different for Patton. Uh, but it's it's like pretty gregarious. It's pretty out there. Uh, his vocal delivery is really not the norm for him 
on this one. Yeah. So as you said, it's a, it's a Scott Walker song, but actually before Scott Walker, it was composed by a guy named Jacques Bray, something like that. Yeah. Forgive the pronunciation. Cover of a cover, I guess. Yeah. Um, in 1965. And then Secret Chiefs, they reinterpret it for uh, Book of Horizons. And then they reinterpreted it again for a seven inch. Oh, I missed that part. I got you. Yeah. So on Book of Horizons, there's like a very basic version of it. And then they do it again for the seven inch. God, I can't remember the name of the seven inch. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But they they do it this version with Patton. And again, it's just so different for Secret Chiefs. It's pretty out there for Patton. It's really catchy. It is just a unique listen. The lyrics are just dumb, <laughs> which is really interesting to me. Uh, it's And it's just a fun track. It's, and again, it's like another one of those things, like if you're a Secret Chiefs fan, you, like you might know, but it's not an album. So this version isn't anyway. So um, yeah, just a unique look on a unique project. And Secret Chiefs, um, probably my favorite offshoot of anything that Patton's been involved in. Trey from Bungle, heads up, Secret Chiefs. Uh, Secret Chiefs 3 I've seen live maybe four or five times, and I can say without hesitation they're the best live band I've ever seen in my life, hands down, easily. absolutely love their work their albums are gorgeous engaging fascinating trey is an absolute genius production skills are insane his songwriting is insane and it was cool to see trey and Patton work together again mm-hmm. um on this track but yeah secret chiefs like that's 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 like my happy music it just it makes me feel so good and again if you ever get a chance to see them live they're just absolutely out of this world for sure. I'm getting the sense this could have easily been a Trey episode too, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, Trey, he's, you know, he's another guy. It's just he's done a lot of stuff and he's a really engaging artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this song is not indicative of Secret Chiefs and that's why I played it. But uh, yeah, for anybody that's listening that doesn't know Secret Chiefs, check out Book M. Like that's the one to start with, I think. It's really great. If you love stuff like off on California, like Ars Merende or um, Goodbye Sober Day, You'll dig Secret Chiefs, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I would co-sign that. And in there, yeah, this isn't, I guess, typical of Secret Chiefs, but it it would also be just be difficult to pick out a track that could represent it. They, they, yeah, are so genre bending and move so much yep. from from record to record. Like, yeah, especially if you involve like the first Grand Constitution and the second Grand Constitution. Like those are wholly different than Book M or Book of Horizons. Um, and they. You know, like everything they do is is so different. Yeah, but you, like, mo- would you say like most of their music is instrumental, right? Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I'm not I'm not super duper familiar with them beyond some some album listens. To actually learn learned about them from from the I Hate Music podcast, like oh, really? <laughs> they, they, okay, they come up a lot, obviously. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Secret Chiefs. Uh, yeah, that's a good. That's something I didn't I didn't think about. But you're right. They're they're almost entirely instrumental. Uh, so this track is you know is a definite standout for them. Yeah, I, I definitely I was like I'm, I'm a I'm a big Sun City Girls fan. So I think there's there okay, there's yeah. some if you're a Sun City Girls person, then um, Secret Chiefs are are for sure worth like worth checking out like for just the total freakiness of everything you know like bring, totally. bring, yeah, bringing yeah. that uh-huh. type of vibe definitely yeah for this track like you're saying this song like i've heard the the jacques who is it jacques jacques Bray? yeah Bray, the Bray? version and then the scott walker version uh, but my first exposure was scott walker version which was his first single um, from 1967 so but jacques version of the song is sung entirely in french and then Scott right. Walker's version is is in English, and Patton and Secret Chiefs. I mean, I feel like they're channeling the Scott Walker version musically, but Patton's yes. singing in both English and French. So it's. Yes. I wonder if that that yeah. was like an intentional sort of choice to like ma- mash up the languages there. I would assume, and Patton, you know, Patton is is bilingual, or I think he's uh, maybe vaguely multilingual, but definitely bilingual, and he likes to do that a lot. He'll sing in in two languages on certain tracks, especially live. He'll, you know, he'll sing um, Italian uh, for even like Faith No More songs and things oh, really? like that. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, yeah. The, if if you go down the rabbit holes on YouTube, you'll you'll run into shit where he'll sing um, in Portuguese or Italian or French. That rules. And and this this track is just so vocally like dexterous, like it's like musical theater, you know. It's, it is, yeah, um, and and you could only pull the song off if you've got like these kinds of chops um, and a lot of kind of mm-hmm. you're comfortable with like theatrics and dr- putting drama into your voice and stuff like that. Like that's an that's, yeah, yeah, that's definitely another thing that you're pointing to too with Patton is like you don't get this like theater kind of like side of him, but I think this is where like maybe his respect for like really highly classically trained vocalists who are like legends like might cut mm-hmm. might come into just like that that old school kind of like show, show yeah, business yeah. kind of like thing you know totally yeah and you're right it has definitely has some uh musical theater vibes and i i just love hearing Patton say stupid ass like that's just <laughs> it just makes me happy well and that's yeah it's so funny that that's in the original too because i'm like this is a song from yeah. the fucking 50s or something like were they saying stupid ass back then like <laughs> yeah i mean apparently yeah <laughs> or did it have a have another know. meaning i don't know i hope so <laughs> all right well um anything else on uh on the secret chiefs track no i don't think so all right let's listen to le chanson de jackie by secret chiefs 3 featuring mike Patton. Spanish bum who sings for women of great virtue. I'd sing to them with a guitar I bought from a coffee bar. Well, what you don't know doesn't hurt you. My name would be Antonio, and all my bridges I would burn. And when I gave them some, they'd know I'd expect something in return. I'd have to get drunk every night and talk about virility with some old grandmother who might be decked out like a Elephants, I'd see though I'd be drunk as I could be, so I would sing my song to me about the time they call me Jackie. If I could be for only an hour, if I could be. 
in a stupid ass way. And if I joined the social world, became procurer of young girls, and I would have my own bordellos. My record would be number one, and I'd sell records by the ton, all sung by many other fellows. My name would then be Handsome Jack, and I'd sell boats of opium, whiskey that came from Twickenham, authentic queers and phony virgins. If I had banks on every finger, finger in every country, and all the countries ruled by me, I'd still know where I'd want to be. Surrounded by some Chinamen, I'd sing the song that I sang then. Celle de Don, où je m'appelle Next up, we've got Atlas Face from Umlaut. This was from 2009, self-titled album. I had never heard this before, but I definitely got some some Bungle vibes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so let's get into this one. So uh, Umlaut is Bear McKinnon's project, and Bear was a very instrumental, no pun intended, composer on uh, Disco Volante, Mm -hmm. and he's an OG member of Bungle. He moved to Australia, uh, I'm not sure when, quite a quite a while ago, but he formed this band called Umlaut, and they have one record and an EP, I think, and it's about as close as you're ever going to get to like a Disco Volante Part 2. Mm-hmm. It really, really shows the importance that Bear had as a Bungle member and as a composer, as an arranger, as a performer, especially on Disco Volante. It, I mean, the, the Umlaut just reeks of Disco Volante. And that's not to discredit Umlaut whatsoever. It's just to really highlight how important Bear is on that record. Um, so when this record came out, I was overjoyed. Because, I I mean, my biggest dream would be to have, like, a Disco Volante part two. That's probably never going to happen. But this is this, this makes me happy. Um, and having Patton on this one track... 
just seals the deal. It's a really, I mean, it is very disco volante, but it's, it's much more song oriented for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit more conventional. It's just got a lot of the same tones, a lot of the same feels. This track in particular, Patton has this weird kind of almost childlike high pitched delivery in some parts that are just, it's really strange, but super engaging. Do you think it's effects like being manipulated or can he do that? I kind of think he can do that. I'm sure he can. Yeah. It, it doesn't seem like it's an effect to me. I don't know. But then of course, you know, the chorus is just like this really nice melodic clean vocal that, that Patton's given us. It's a, it's just another fantastic example of the amazing musicians that Patton has surrounded himself with for the last, you know, 40 years or whatever. I bought the LP and the seven inch from bear and like with shipping from Australia, it was like a hundred bucks, but you know, he sent it to me and he autographed both of them. And he was like, Jason, you're a fucking superstar or like whatever he said. And it's, you know, I'll cherish it forever. It's the materials. Great. Bear is an amazing guy, such a huge part of the bungle legacy which is why people are uncomfortable with modern day Bungle, excluding him. Sure. But really, if you're a fan of Disco Volante, you, you owe it to yourself to listen to Umlaut. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah, I I, I certainly caught up, like <laughs> caught on to all of that. And and do you would you say like you hear Bear's like particular like arranging and like character of the music like here yeah. like in I, sort of like a isolated way like separate from the other obviously separated from the other members of bungle it just is it sort of like a distillation of like what what he did in that band like to some extent yeah i mean it seems like it to me i mean that could be inaccurate but um yeah i mean even like a like i said even like some of like the keyboard tones and stuff are are very reminiscent of disco volante a lot of the arranging Mm -hmm. i just and knowing that Bear is behind this, I can I can just I know the Bear didn't do this, but it's almost like he was like, I want to show people what I did on Disco Volante. So I'm gonna make my own record <laughs> yeah. without those guys and show like how much of an impact I had on that record. Disco Volante is my favorite album of all time. So to have this kind of as be like a tendril off of that, uh is it, it's just it's just awesome. And I think I saw that they're working on a new one right now. Wow. I think I, I think I saw that recently. It's been a while, yeah. Yeah. Would you say Disco Volante is the most difficult like bungle album? Yes. Yep. I I do, but I think I mean I've listened to it so many times it's just embedded in me. But but really like if I remove myself from it, yes, it is the most difficult. But I think it's only the most difficult because of a few key moments, mm. like the bends. I really I think a lot of it's fairly accessible yeah i mean mamishka mousequaz i mean yeah it's kind of hyper and intense but it's not like there's not we're not talking about mersbauer no here. no no or or the boredoms or something i mean it's there's lots of stuff to grasp onto there's lots of melody there's it starts off a little a little challenging i think you gotta like kind of get get through and then like rediscover those songs like a little later right yeah but i also think like if you're a fan of the melvins the first track mm-hmm. is old hat to you you know i i think obviously it depends on your perspective and i remember the first time i heard it i had no idea what the hell was going on (laughs) and i just felt like i was just running to like try to catch up to it and that's what i love about the record 
is I still feel like that sometimes. But I think, I mean, when did that record come out? 95, 96? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Something like that. At the time, I think it was just this, this piece of work that very few people could relate to or have any art, have a yardstick to measure. But I think now I think a lot of those things are much more commonplace. I think it's much more easily digestible now to like a new listener. Um, even something like the bends, which to me I think is probably the most difficult track on there. It's just ambient, you know, and ambient isn't like something that's unheard of to people these days. No, it's uh, more probably more popular than ever. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I, I think if somebody heard it for the first time today, they'd be like, oh, this is kind of crazy. <laughs> but, you know, I don't think it's as crazy as it was in 95. It wasn't. But I also just don't hear stuff that is this, this wide-rangingly crazy, like on a single release either, by the same token. You know what I mean? Like no one, no one's like rarely. packaging it up like that. Right, rarely. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. Of course it does. Yeah. You got you to yeah. dig deep for that stuff. And it's not yeah. only stuff that is influenced by this record of course like it can exist in its own world but right yep yeah i mean it is it's a very disco volante is a very unique statement um and i think it still you know has an impact today um and i think there are a lot of bands that maybe approach the same breadth and scope and they do the genre hopping that all that stuff like a, like a naked city mm-hmm. not that that's current day but you know what i'm mm-hmm. saying like a stratosphere um i think those things are much more normal and widely accepted than they used to be but i don't think they nobody's ever approached it in the same way where like i said umlaut has those same tones those same ideas it has the same vibe and i don't there's never been another record aside from this umlaut that has the same feel as disco volante disco volante is terrifying (laughs) and a stratosphere is not terrifying you know um I see even like bands like System of a Down, who I'm not into at all, but they have these like kind of cut and paste, start and stop type of things. And I can't help but think that that is because of one of the three bungle records, of course. you know, so and they're big as hell. So it's it's interesting how that how those things change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah, I was I was really happy to discover this. And I this whole record is is so good. Yeah, I, I really loved it. I really great. loved this one. Yeah. Um, and and I don't even know how it escaped me in the search that this was bare. I was just like, I had like an Australian experimental band. I'm like, oh, okay, Australian. Like, it's not. It's like some yeah. Australians who just love who are just love Bungle and like <laughs> fucking pulled this thing off. Like, how? <laughs> so uh, yeah, makes a lot more sense now. Well, it's funny because Bear and Danny Heifetz they both live in in Australia now. So kind of a strange move. But uh, yeah, I think Danny was. He plays with them sometimes too, I think, if I remember right. But Bear hasn't been part of any yeah. of the Bungle reunion stuff at all. Nope, nope. And from my sources, not asked or anything. It's just, it's like the three core guys, it's Trey, Trevor, and Pat. Yeah. Oh, well, they got the reasons, I suppose. I guess. I don't, yeah, I don't <laughs> know. I don't know. All right. Well, let's listen to Atlas Face from Umlaut. Tell me more. I want to 
rest of your life. I want to welcome you to the rest of your life. I want to welcome you to the rest of your life. Today's the very first virgin day of the rest of your We have hit the end here. We're capping things off with the track Mojo from Peeping Tom. This was a um, self-titled album, 2006. This is another one that I think is a is a like fan favorite and maybe maybe like yeah extended beyond like the patent sort of like fan universe as well. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, with the involvement of people like Nora Jones, I think could you know expand those horizons a bit. So why did you go with uh with this album? And like, what do you think about this record as a whole? Uh, the record as a whole, it kind of embodies what I think of Patton as a whole. For me, it's it's a little hit and miss. There's a couple songs on here I'm not crazy about. I don't think any of them are like bad by any means. There's a couple songs I just don't think are that great. But Mojo, there's something about this track in particular. It's one of my absolutely favorite things Patton's ever done. I can't really explain why. It just, it hits me just right. It's super catchy. I listened to it again today, prepping for this podcast. And it just, I find myself singing out loud to it. I just, just fucking love this song. The video too, uh, that goes with it is, it's pretty stupid and silly, <laughs> yeah. but it, it just, it, it just works. It just works so well with it. Um, this song just makes me so happy. This I do love this record, even though there are a couple songs I'm not totally in love with, but it's mostly because of this song. 
yeah this one this one is a banger for sure i mean this will this will be stuck in your head immediately all day if you listen to it yeah and it's and it's like it's like a you know a dark like kind of trip-hop hip-hop kind of song with just the most like infectious chorus like it Oh, yeah, the chorus. Oh, it's so great. Yeah. So good. <clears throat> and it's got Razelle on it, and uh, the video has Danny DeVito in it. Like, It's like super catchy and like memorable, but it's mm-hmm. dark. Like it's got a dark bend to it. It's not, it's oh, not yeah. like this like pop, like kind of cleaned up, like major key kind of thing at all. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's very, very dark. Kind of how California was, for the most part, it sounds kind of light and airy, but it's got like, this undercurrent, you know underneath it that's just seeping in there creeping in there but yeah this track is just fantastic i've tried to get this this lp so many times but it's just it's never been like repressed really yeah i mean i don't know why i didn't get it right away i got the cd right away i didn't get the record right away um and now it goes for like hundreds of dollars i I haven't sprung for it but uh yeah absolutely love this record and then this was this just patent do you know like the origin of this? Was him just wanting to do like kind of like a pop record or something? Because it's his. It's it's not like yeah. it's not a collaboration between him and like another person. It's there's if you look at the right. guest list on this album, it's there's guests on I think virtually every single track, and sometimes several guests on like single tracks as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. He brought a lot of people into the studio for this for sure. Yeah, my understanding of this is much like Phantomas. This is something that he wrote. And he got people to help him play the instruments. My understanding is that he wrote three full albums and the plan was to do each album. He's only done one album, but yeah, I think the the deal was, is like one main guest on each song. And then what's the band called that did the music? Um, fuck, it's escaping me right now. Uh, like yep. who played? Dub Trio. Dub oh, Trio. that's right. Yeah. Yeah, Dub Trio, they were the like, basically like the backing band, so like the bass, the guitar, the drums. And when I saw them live, it was it was Dub Trio playing as well. And then he just got a bunch of people to like fill out the instrumentation, like Razelle, Nora Jones. I assume Dan the Automator is on here. I can't really remember. I believe uh, he is. Yes, he is. He's on he's on okay. Mojo. He's on this this track. Okay, great. Yeah, I thought so. And then he's uh helped write Sucker as well. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so kind of like Phantomas, it's 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 interesting to see Patton like fully, like spearhead a project where so much of the time he's definitely involved, but there's a lot of other musicians that are you know helping him guide the boat. But this one, like he's you know he, it definitely seems like he's he's steering the vessel and uh, getting a lot of help along the way. Yeah, and like the writing credits are pretty much like all his here. That's the other thing. Yeah, and this was this was I think came yeah. out on Ipecac as well. Yeah, yeah, it did. And if you look online, probably on YouTube too, you can find some of the demos of the songs that aren't on this one. And there's a couple really fantastic ones. So I was really hoping that he would do more records, but it doesn't really seem like he will at this point. Yeah, isn't isn't Danny DeVito in the music video? Yeah. So did yep. you know that they're really good friends, like very close? Yeah, they're they're super close. Yeah, that's. It makes so much sense, but it's so strange too. Why, why yeah. wouldn't they? They they seem like they get along. Yeah, I want them to do music together. <laughs> oh man, that would be crazy. Uh, but yeah, I guess Danny was a fan, and vice versa. And Danny went to 
would just go to shows and they met that Dude, way. every time i hear something new about dane devito i'm like Dude, just gets fucking cooler and cooler like oh right i know <laughs> yeah it's amazing yeah i mean throw mama from the train is like the film version of disco volante you know? it's, <laughs> yeah. like... it's a very good it's a very good comparison yeah all right awesome anything else on uh mojo or in peeping tom album um this was probably the most r- yeah, recent can't... thing that he did oh no that umlaut's 09 not the most recent thing he's done but that is on this track list i think uh yes that seems right to me that's a little weird of me but yeah i think so i think that's the most recent thing i mean he's he's still popping up all over the place like he's oh yeah yeah the the music factory never closes down you know what i mean exactly yeah yeah i don't think i have anything else to say about that peeping tom record uh other than i think it was i wouldn't say ignored but i think it kind of flew under some people's radar yeah yeah i saw like i saw it had some it doesn't have like the best reviews from like critics and stuff but like yeah. i don't know that like Patton's world or projects has always been like that's not a good I mean, that's yeah. not a good place to start like with it you just got you just no, just jump no. in i mean in general skip all the reviews and critic and critics shit and just jump in right decide for yourself yeah yeah for sure yeah but that's it's a great record yeah, definitely check it out if you haven't heard it. All right. Well, we're going to go out on this um, Peeping Tom track, so um, stick around for that. But I think that's going to do it for us. Is there kind of like any any parting words you have about Mike and what he means to his artist? I mean, you've already expressed a, a ton today, and I and I super appreciate your time. But I don't know if there's anything else you wanted to get in that you hadn't come in on conversation. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I guess... You know, I, I, I expressed my admiration for him, you know, in, in many ways and just in playing these tracks as well. Uh, but I, I I just I can't like I said before, I can't overstate the importance that he's, he's had um, on my love of music and my love of art, um, teaching me to be adventurous, to be gutsy with my art, to not really give a shit what people think. And just go for it, not to not be afraid to be silly, not be afraid to have like a little bit of humor in there. I mean, it's just it's kind of ridiculous how much I've modeled myself after him and his works in a lot of ways. You know, thinking about back on the years, like even even today, I'm I'm performing under the name Moonbladder quite a bit. And I'm finding myself do these things in my performances. I'm like, it's just a patent thing, you know? <laughs> but I, it just, it just, it just comes so naturally to me because he's just really informed who I am as a performer and a musician in so many ways. And I don't really, I don't look at it as like me, like copying his style. It's more like an homage mm. for me, you know, um, every record I make, I'm trying to, I, I use Disco Volante as a blueprint, every single mm. one. The closest I've ever come to that was, my last Moonbladder record, Snares of Sixes.
I'm always using that as a blueprint. I'll know I'll never get there. I don't want to get there, but that's like, that's my blueprint. Every performance I have, I'm channeling Patton in one way or another. If you look at old photos of me, like I look like Patton, I've got the same haircut. I'm dressed the same, you know, it's totally out of hand. I have a much more mature outlook on it now, but still, I mean, even to this day, like when they announced those, those bungle shows and one's coming to Portland, I bought tickets I bought five tickets immediately just in case I could give them to other people. Like, Hey, you want to come check this out? He just, he brings me, he's inspired me so much. He brings me so much joy. His music has constantly challenged me and confounded me. And that's what I want to do for others. Yeah. That's, that's amazing, man. Certainly like a, you know, musical compass like that, that, that definitely comes through for sure. Awesome. Well, Jason, thanks so much for for taking listeners down this rabbit hole, man. Like, I really appreciate your your, yeah, your you. time and energy on this. I think I think this was this was awesome for me as a listener to your podcast and your music, and then being able to kind of hear time and time again how important like Bungle and Patton is yeah. to you through that, and then just kind of having this opportunity to to tie it all back together and get a little bit deeper about like you know how artistry influences your art. Um, and your approach is going forward. So I have a lot more patent homework to do myself here. So this has been a great excuse for me to explore his body <laughs> nice. of work. I'm like, you know, I'm more than the usual typical, you know, like kind of rock fan. Like I, I go a little deeper with patent, but I'm, there's some, some patent heads out there that, that go real deep, man. Like, <laughs> you know, him. Yep. <laughs> um, yep, for sure. For sure. Um, in terms of your stuff is, um, is jwalton.bandcamp.com. Is that like the, the best place for people to find what you're working on? I know you just had the, the moon bladder releases, the most recent yeah. one on there. Yeah. Um, actually it's not the most recent one. Oh, is it not? That I've done. I can't even keep track. I have so much shit going on most of the time. Uh, yeah. Uh, jwalton.bandcamp is my band camp. There's a lot of stuff on there. Um, my website is earthinsound.org. On there, you can find um, a link to my podcast, my web store. My web store has shirts for my own bands, plus other bands that I've reissued, like Disharmonic Orchestra, yeah. Old Lady Drivers, Thief, stuff like that. Yeah. Got the Confessor um, shirts up there. Confessor shirts. Yep. I think... I might be sold out of the confessors. I can't really remember. Plus my label. I've got two missing scene CDs. I've got a plague Psalm cassette plus my own work. Got uh, cross paths t-shirts. That's my, my newest release actually was cross paths. So it's a ambient project ah. with Andy whale of bolt thrower. Oh, sick. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. We're doing war themed ambient music oh, yeah. together. Plus the moon bladder stuff. Um, but yeah, so either my Bandcamp or earthandsound.org is a great way to do it. I've got a newsletter you can sign up for. I never send out emails, so sign up for it and you'll never hear from me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, my socials are the best way to keep track of my shit. And that's uh, Instagram, moonbladder underscore PDX or Facebook. Uh, just search for moonbladder. Awesome. And subscribe to I Hate Music because there will be a new episode one day. But you can go back and, there will and, be. and fuck around with the older episodes um, all you want. Yeah, and that was a fun podcast. It's kind of funny that I, I took a break because right before I took a break, I got two very notable musicians to agree to do it, and then I just kind of burned myself out. So it, it would have been my two biggest episodes ever, undoubtedly. Uh, but yeah, my heart wasn't in it, so I had to take a break. I'm just trying to really focus on performing and, and writing right now. 
So I feel you. Yeah, yeah. Only only you know best what, what the priority is. Um awesome. Well, I will link all of that stuff in the in the show notes for for listeners. Thanks again, Jason. Like this has been super fun. Yeah, thank you. It's been it's been a blast. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um and please subscribe to the uh this podcast so you don't miss an episode, rate and review if you've got an opinion on the show, and I will see you back here with another rabbit hole of music soon. And until next time. Don't I Gotta get my